Welcome to Side Talks, the official podcast of the Sidewalk Film Festival and upcoming Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. My name is Corey Kraft. I am one of the programmers for the Sidewalk Film Festival. And I'm Rachel Morgan, and I am the creative director for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. This is the podcast where we talk all things cinema. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute. Round one. Fight. fight. So five-minute fight, Five-minute fight. Let's and do it. Yeah. Okay, Cracking so go ahead and start the clock right now when I'll say the words, Pet Cemetery. I liked it. I, I wish I liked it more. Okay. That's um, your whole thing? That is, that is my whole thing. I like things about it. I like the cast. Uh, I wish that um, actors Jason Clark and John Lithgow were just maybe a little bit more engaged in the material. Um, Amy Simon comes in and just, I mean, she owns this film. Yeah, she's great. She's amazing she's in She's always this. great. She's always great. I love her so much. What wonderful casting. I mean, she's got an amazing face for yeah. this kind of performance and has not really been used in this kind of performance before yeah. in this kind of film. I just think she's she's wonderful. Um, she is she is by far the best part of the movie. 100%. Um, okay, we agree on that, so let's get to fighting. Okay. I think that this film has a conceptually interesting deviation from the source material. Agreed. That's kind of... It's spoiled in the trailers. I don't think it's a spoiler to say because it's kind of what the marketing for this movie hung its hat on, which is in the uh, in the novel and Mary Lambert's original film, uh, it is the youngest Creed child, the little boy Gage, who is killed by a truck uh, about two-thirds of the way through the movie. In Flip this, it and reverse it. Yeah. In this, it is the older daughter, Ellie. Um, and the... You know, the idea there is she's old enough to have a conversation. She's old enough to know what happened to her. She's old enough to have some sort of intelligence behind the menace. So you're just, everything you're saying right now is just agreeing with me. No, because yeah, I, I mean, don't, this film is good. I don't like it in Why? execution. I don't think it's, I don't think it's well executed. Um, uh, you're wrong. I, I, I the, they are entirely correct that trying to do the little toddler boy running around with a knife, you know, slashing at people, as in the original film, uh, when executed is a bit hokey and has the potential to be campy, even though I like the original film. Um, and I like, you know, written on the page, uh, that sort of air of menace and and. I feel like disaster. you're just supporting my cause for the most part. The, the problem is the execution was lukewarm. And I blame it on the screenplay, which is a little bit sleepy and pokey. The, the, the pacing and editing, which is just kind of like, uh, we're here. So just like lean back and some stuff is going to happen. It's thoughtful. It's efficient. It's fun. I don't think it's, it's efficient It's enjoyable. I had a... F I, what do you mean? It's, it's, it's what in distended and weird. Like... Uh, no. Mm. It's really... I felt like every single moment of this film, I was enjoying myself. Now, here's the thing. You know how I, where I stand on flashbacks. There should never be a flashback in a film ever. Only percent <laughs> of the time can a flashback happen. If you cut the flashback sequences to the sister stuff which out of I, here, I which they're not going to do. But if they did that, this film would be amazing. But right now, it's very, very good even mm. with that. No, I just... I wasn't bored. I was I was never bored either, but I, I, I sat there the whole time thinking, why is this not really working for me? Well, I'm asking you that same question. Why wasn't it? I was on the edge of my seat, those shots of the trucks, 
barreling down that road. I was really engaged. I thought it was I thought it was really fun, really interesting, really thoughtful. I thought it did a lot of things that horror films should do. It's it's better than 80% of the recent release horror films. If mm. not higher percentage than that. What do you want? I I don't know. You don't like horror films. You don't like horror <laughs> I, that's films. That's it. You're right. You, you you articulated it um Clearly, I really it, hate horror movies. If it's not a superhero film, oh, then Lord, screw it. No, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think it, the whole thing feels sleepy to me, up to and including the trip over the deadfall into the, the poisoned lands where the Wendigo is hanging fun. out. That's uh, fun. It looks like Mordor. It was fun. It, it's kind of fun, but like either – I just kind of – I feel like I wish the movie had committed – either way in a direction go super stylized or just be kind of plain and wood paneled like most of the movie seems to be it was cranky and interesting and fun and i i see what you mean by you know sort of like it sleepwalks a little bit but i think that's all about sort of getting into the flow of this film i i really enjoyed it also um that kitty cat just needed a good bath. I and knew that's some what you're pissed about. I knew you were mad it's about not church. Not a scary kitty. It's it not have a scary to be. kitty. It doesn't have to be that scary. He is a that's fluffy, adorable kitty. That's what's fun about it. No, uh, that's what's fun about. But, that's what's but stop awesome. trying to do. Stop trying to make him a figure of menace. Then. Well, he. But I mean, come on. Nice, cute, adorable cats will still scratch your face off. I think it's a great church. I thought this film was a really enjoyable ride. I also, it's working. This got some subtext going on. I really love the whole thing about sort of parenthood and the sort of this moment of like facing just sort of totally having to take down your own. Rachel one, Rachel one, Pet Cemetery. Kitty's too cute to be scary. I'm That's sorry. That's not true. It, no, no. That's not true. I'm not scared of cats. They have to be like horrifying zombie oh, cats gosh. to be scary. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just an adorable cat who needs a bath. That will also rip your face off. No, no, not if you know how to handle them. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this has come down like, to cat wars. Yeah, I feel like you should record how to properly handle a cat. <laughs> let, no. let me tell you how to deal with cats in horror movies. Okay, so I didn't actually see this one, but I read it was not quite as good as it could have potentially been. Um, Corey's main thing is he didn't like it enough, but like at a certain point, you can only get a certain level of enjoyment out of a movie. It's still just kind of a product of entertainment. Um, and Corey said the execution was lukewarm. I think the overall review was lukewarm and <laughs> um, that it's inefficient. Um, and okay, so Rachel. It's a completely arbitrary point system. It's Drew Carey with Whose Line Is It Anyway, but probably a million points to Rachel for saying there should never be a flashback in a film ever. Um, I have to agree. And even I'm saying that as a huge lifelong fan of Lost. Um, it's, it's just lazy writing sometimes. Um, and also quoting Rachel's mom's review of the podcast here. Rachel, please be nice to Corey. It's not just superhero movies that he likes. <laughs> um, as funny and entertaining as it is. Um, and Rachel said, the, it doesn't matter that the cat is scary, but the title is literally Pet Cemetery, and the entire horror movie revolves around these scary-looking horrific animals. Um, so the cat does need to be scary. But also, like, to argue, I think it did look scary. It was a very, like, the prop team or whatever team spent hours sticking glue and dirt to that cat. Um, It really did a good job. It looked like it just came back from the dead, I thought. Um, 
Sorry, the zombie cats weren't as realistic to you, Corey, but... Um, so I guess, I guess Rachel wins this one. Corey loses pretty hard. <laughs> so guess what it's time for. It's time for What's This Shit, am I right? What's this shit? God, every time. Gonna have to deal with it every time. I'm in the cardio cinema. I'm on a treadmill. I'm, I'm rarely on a stationary bike, but I think it's kind of <laughs> cool to say stage bike. Um, it's, but It's not, but continue. <laughs> It's like cab salve, only at the gym. Um, okay, so I'm there. I'm in, I'm in the theater, and guess what I see on the screen? This time it's not Thomas Cruise. This time it is Ben Affleck. Oh, boy. Blech, blech, all right, blech. all right. Okay. I'm rubbing my hands in anticipation now. If somebody could insert a little vomit sound effect right there, that'd be awesome. <laughs> no, he's um, good. He's chiseled. Uh-huh. He's fit. He is overly confident. Um, so, and he is, there's a, there's something, I think you're going to get it right away. I, I don't know what you're, I think you're going to mostly berate me for not knowing what this film is. Mm-hmm. Cause I kind of like, maybe I know I should know is my feeling, right? There's a rose. It's dropped from a, from a ceiling. Then he's in a restaurant with John Favreau. Maybe he's blind. Oh, just yeah. wait a second though. Cause I do need to say this. He is way more confident in himself and his performance than he really should be. And all I can think is, man, you are so misguided on your own self image. Like you're a just horribly bleh person. Well, if it makes you feel better, the American public largely agreed with you in the case of this particular movie, which, which is, is 2003's Daredevil. He's playing the Marvel superhero Matt Murdock, who moonlights at night as the blind vigilante Daredevil. This is not a great movie. Oh, it's bad. Affleck is is kind of coasting on whatever his movie star thing at the time was, which was a pretty bland version of what you just described. However, this has an absolutely bananas early Hollywood performance from Colin Farrell as the villain Bullseye which might be the reason to see this movie. There's no reason. I can tell you right now. There's not really a reason to see this movie, but if you must, Colin Farrell as Bullseye is is pretty crazy. If you want to, the only reason maybe to watch this is if you want to watch somebody be overly confident about something they have no ability to back up. I mean, it's as if he is like, he really fancies himself to be the best actor in the world. And it's, nowhere near that. Some would argue that taking this movie seriously is exactly what he needed to do, but he's boring. I will say uh, another reason to see this movie, if you're really into 2003 things, soundtrack uh, features that Evanescence song. Oh, that is a reason to not see it. Gross. You know and that one. You know yeah, that I, one, I, listener. I, no. Do there. you want to sing it? Um, Please? No, I can't. Oh, okay. I can't do the... Uh, Wake me up inside. You know that that thing. I can't do it. <laughs> it kind of sounds like what's this shit? It kind of sounds like that. Uh, I'm sorry to everybody, by the way. No, you definitely did. should apologize, but not as much as Ben Affleck should. <laughs> I, I mean, he. Bleh. So now it's time for Cal's corner. Cal McKinnon is a features programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. He's going to take a few minutes to talk about whatever the heck he wants to. As I mentioned uh, in previous podcast episodes, I've been kind of playing around with not watching very much streaming, more specifically just canceled Netflix and um, 
And I've been spending a lot more time either checking stuff out of the library or borrowing movies from friends or just watching stuff I already own or even, in one case, buying something uh, that I saw in a, at an estate sale. Uh, and this has been pretty awesome. Um, I, I find that I like... I really like just knowing what I'm going to watch ahead of time. There's a study I read recently that showed that uh, that's saying that um, like average consumers, like average Netflix consumers, spend about 19 minutes deciding on what to watch. And I think I was guilty of that too because I find myself just like constantly like scrolling over thumbnail over thumbnail over thumbnail and just like feeling like I was going to do make a wrong choice. Like even recently, someone brought a movie to me at work and I don't remember asking for it, but because he brought it, it's like, I'm gonna take the effort to watch it and leave that decision-making out the window. So here's here's some things I've watched. Um, I'm kind of ranking them mostly from stuff I didn't like so much to stuff I've really, really, really liked. We'll start off one with this uh, impulsive library rental. It's a comedy called Tag. Don't see it, it's utter terrible, terrible, terrible garbage. I fell asleep through it and my wife came in like halfway through and she just kind of watched a little bit of it and she said that Hannibal Burris had one funny line and she told me what it was and I laughed. That's the best thing I can say about the movie tag. Um, there's a movie called The Bad Times at El Royale that um, is was also an impulsive pickup at the library. It's written by Drew Goddard, directed by Drew Goddard also. He did um, a lot of episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, Cloverfield, and Cabin in the Woods, which I actually liked quite a bit, and had, you know, all-star cast like Jeff Bridges and Dakota Johnson. And it actually started off pretty strong, super stylized, looks great, set in the 60s or, yeah, the late 60s, and uh, takes place this motel that's on the border of Nevada and California. And it, as it plays out at the beginning, it kind of feels like a whodunit. Like, it feels almost like the movie Clues. So I was very much on board, especially that, like, they start stripping away the, the surface and show you stuff that's, like, kind of buried beneath. And that's when I became very, very interested in it. And I had to—it was getting too late. And so I hit pause knowing I'd come back to it the next day. So I remember even, like, t this is a case where I, like, told someone it work i was like hey you you know you might want to check out this movie bad times that uh it's actually pretty good i mean i haven't watched the whole thing yet but man it's it's like really on it's really on has a good pace going and then when i put it back on later uh the next day i, I think it's really hollow and i'm really bummed out and uh i only recommend watching it for the first 25 minutes not that anyone should ever do that unless you want to pretend it's like a tv show a tv series uh next i watched the blob the 1988 version that was really satisfying i've i've had never seen it before it was always kind of in the horror aisle and i always admired the poster i recommend checking it out it's like it's pretty extreme for like a poster that you would just you know just it, it just has like a guy that's already like transformed as blue face inside this blob that's just consuming him and it's very urgent and scary the blob itself the movie is it's very playful for as violent as it is it had like violence almost on the level like a monster violence of like the thing but it uh it, it kind of maintained this it, i guess it kind of went back to his 1950s roots and had this kind of playfulness as well uh directed by chuck russell who who i know from nightmare on Elm street three the dream warriors and co-written by frank darabont uh, one thing of note kevin D dylan matt dylan's brother is a star in it and he's very like one-dimensional character just like guy leather jacket he's the like the neighborhood bad boy uh rides a motorcycle but he's he's pretty cool and um 
he uh, I noticed that like if I think if you shaved Kevin Dillon's head and painted him red, he would look like the character Red Skull. So just think about that um, when you're reading your Captain America comic books. Next movie was Silver Bullet. Someone lent that to me at work. I'd never actually seen it before, even though I'd been aware of it my entire life, uh, essentially. And uh, that's the uh, Stephen King werewolf movie has Corey Haim and Gary Busey. And one thing I did not know about it going into it was that it play for like the first half of it, it really plays off like a werewolf slasher movie. And it also kind of, well, actually it's going to be kind of spoilery, but it kind of breaks kind of a werewolf tradition where the, the person who is the werewolf, like the actual human is kind of more of a, um, a character you want to sympathize with. But in this case, it's an actual killer, like an actual psychotic killer. Also worth noting that, uh, Corey Haim rides around in not one but two different gas-powered wheelchairs, one that can outrun a car. So that in itself is worth seeing. And also one one thing I really I really respect about it is that it doesn't really have much of a B story at all. It kind of stays focused on the same narrative the entire time without uh, at least not not much subtext. And uh, I kind of it's kind of refreshing to have a movie like that. I also um, borrowed from someone at work the movie Rollerball, uh, the Norman Jewison 70s dystopic sci-fi movie. James Kahn is like the uh, world's greatest rollerball player. Um, there's no more no more wars. There are just corporations that run the world and they have teams that play across the world. It's basically a game with very few rules that leaves most players severely injured or dead. It, it really fails as like a um, sports or action film. They just don't know how to shoot the content. Everyone looks uh, like they don't know how to roller skate, especially the star of the movie, James Caan. No one looks cool in the movie roller skating or fighting. Uh, You mostly just think that they're going to fall down the whole time. So I don't know. It's really distracting. The other thing is that, so the lead character's name is Jonathan and that's fine and all, but when you have like the the fans cheering one's you know the name, it doesn't sound cool to yell Jonathan, Jonathan. What's cool is yeah is cheering like a name like Rocky, Rocky. But throughout the movie, people are just yelling Jonathan, and it just doesn't work. And they should have changed that in the writing. It has that dark '70s sci-fi tone that are you know that's fine. It has, I would say, in the entire movie, maybe like one sequence I liked with these like futuristic aristocrats shooting rockets at trees out in a field and blowing them up. That was pretty awesome, but that's about about it. I also watched uh, Bard, also from someone at work, uh, Tales from... I, I work at a video store, by the way. Um, uh, Tales from the Crypt, season one, has episodes directed by Walter Hill, Roberts, and Zemeckis. But I really like the one that um, Mary Lambert directed. She she directed Pet Cemetery. She's done a lot of TV. She did also that surrealist movie uh, Siesta uh, from the late 80s. She does one called Collection Completed where M. Emmett Walsh is a recently retired guy that doesn't know what to do at home. And he finds that his wife is really obsessed with the pets around the house. And she even starts treating him like a dog. Well, he starts just out of frustration. He just starts... Um, killing pets and turning them into taxidermied pets spoiler but she ends up um killing him towards the end and stuffs him and him stuffed on a recliner is one of the funniest things i've seen uh in a few months in movies so uh 
even though it's a TV show, it is, it's wonderful. You could probably just Google uh, M. Emmett Walsh stuffed and maybe don't do that. All right. Uh, I also rewatched the movie Duel, which might be my favorite Steven Spielberg movie. And um, it was his made-for-TV movie from the early 70s. It was later recut for an international theatrical release uh, about a guy driving uh, across California on business on a sales call. And then he passes a um, big, scary monster truck that uh, then spends the rest of the story terrorizing him, trying to uh, basically run him off the road and run over him. This is also a spoiler, but I, wh- what I really liked seeing it again, what I really like noticing is that the truck carries license plates from different states, and I realized, oh, that's because this guy is a serial killer that's collecting the plates off of cars that he kills. And there's uh, the, the ending, which is... I think I didn't really understand this until this time around. So you, it's it's a gas truck. It keeps saying like uh, you keep seeing the flammable sign on the tank, and you think in the big uh, spoiler, the big shocking conclusion where it gets run off the side of a mountain and crashes in one of the most glorious car slash truck crashes I've ever seen before. It's it is it's art in itself. Um, it doesn't blow up. And you think, you know, the whole time, oh, when's it gonna blow up? When's it gonna blow up? And um, it's almost like an anti-climax, but then when you think about it, this is just a truck that's been ha- not hauling around gas the entire time. And that just tells me that this is this is basically a serial killer who's out there, not on the job. He wasn't just mad because he got passed on the highway. He is out to hunt people. And so the, uh, yeah, you get it. It's, um, I think that was a really smart choice. Um, and in the last three, I really, really liked Sex, Lies, and Videotape. I'd never seen it before. I think, uh, Corey, is that Steven Soderbergh's first movie? His first uh, feature-length movie. That has got to be one of the best first feature-length movies I've ever seen before. James Spader is fantastic in it. He should come off as being a total creep in that he videotapes women who are strangers talking about their sex experiences. However, um, he is uh, extremely likable. You can understand him and his motives and see how he's willing to change as well. Props to him. And I got to say, Andy McDowell, I, I'm a really big kind of fan slash hate fan of Saint Elmo's Fire, but my wife and I watch it probably once or twice a year, and she's one of the many, many weak links in Saint Elmo's Fire, and I would like to say that it's because of the writing and the directing and not because of her. I think she's great in uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and I think I misunderstood her uh, and her skill. So great job, Andy McDowell. Great job, everyone, on that. Um I went to an estate sale a few weeks ago and found the movie All That Heaven Allows. On, it was actually a Criterion Blu-ray on sale for $2 at an estate sale. I picked it up largely. I think I'd seen it at Rachel's home. Rachel, if you can see that and wave. Yeah, that's a thumbs up. Yeah, she does have it at her home. So I was like, oh, it's got to be good. Um Actually, I loved it. Uh, this is a 1955 Douglas Sirk movie. It's in almost insane Technicolor, where every, like every color is just really, really, really vibrant. And it's about a widowed woman who finds love kind of outside of her class. And it basically disrupts her entire livelihood. She's found true happiness with this man who lives uh, essentially um, off the 
off the grid. He's it's kind of more of a Walden kind of life, and uh, her friends in the country club and her children just all are disapproving of her, and it's tearing her apart. And it's a movie about the courage to 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 make the choices that uh, one needs to make, especially to be happy and to truly find themselves. Yeah, I think I'm going to watch this movie once a year for the rest of my life. It was really, really touching. And lastly is a movie I already knew I loved dearly. I'd not seen it since I was in a dorm room in college. And that is Paris, Texas, the Vim Vendors movie. Um I probably can't say enough about it, but I have a very strange observation, but I, this is what this is what goes through my brain when I watch a movie, uh, especially this movie. So he um, uh, Harry Dean Stanton's character, he has he leaves his family, disappears. You later find out through the movie what where he went, why he did it. Um, but um, he he basically has this journey where he comes back to, to find his child and then to basically deliver his child to his estranged wife who he had a, ultimately a really 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 dangerous relationship with and what i'm and what i'm thinking i'm all of a sudden drawing comparisons to mad max fury road while i'm watching this and that is where like mad max and his team they make this rescue and they drive away really really far and they find this kind of space and they decide that the only way to really survive and to make it is to go back to where they came from and fight. And it's it's an awesome, awesome plot device. And I'm just thinking like, this is kind of like, while that's happening in the external world, on in the internal world, that's what's happening to Harry Dean Stanton's character. He doesn't come back to fight anyone. He he comes back to face his fears. And there's a moment that, and it's basically this is the moment where all this stuff is going off my head. It's where he finally sees his wife, who he's been very, very afraid to see. He won't talk about her, but he finds her working in a strip booth where she can't see him through the through the um, through the one way mirror. Is it one way or two way mirror? Um, all right, one way mirror. Thanks, Corey. Before he speaks to her, he pauses and he just. He closes his eyes and there's something going on in him. And it's not like a war, but he's, I think he is just facing his fears. And that's, that's kind of the equivalent. I was thinking that the analogy, it's like coming back to fight. He comes back to face his fears and is able to make uh, just a huge, huge sacrifice when he delivers the son to the mom and he kind of leaves them forever knowing that he can't, like he can't be with her and be happy. And uh, I don't know. I think that's just truly amazing. It speaks very loudly, even though it's a super quiet last act. But good golly, that was super awesome. And I'm very, very happy to have seen it. Um, So I'm just going to continue with this, uh, I guess, just checking stuff out of the library and not watching much Netflix and and, uh, keep you posted if I find anything else that's worth checking out. All right. Thanks for listening. Kyle McKinnon is a feature film programmer for the Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. And now, Fast Film Terms! Fast Film Terms. Here we go. Let's speed it up. Okay. ADR. We can uh, define it any number of ways uh, and and wouldn't be wrong, but we're going to go with additional dialogue replacement. And basically what that means is actors screw up all the time, sound engineers screw up all the time, right, guys? Um, And so when that happens, (laughs) and also guess what else happens? Life, like 
uh, planes fly across the air and trains go in the distance and blah, 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 blah. So when dialogue gets kind of screwed up, we basically call actors, we as in the entire filmmaking community, uh, filmmakers call actors back in to read to their lips and to reread dialogue. And um, my understanding for the most part is that a lot of actors find this while tedious can be very helpful because it gives them an opportunity to sort of revisit a performance in a very controlled environment. Yeah, and it also allows you to add dialogue in scenes where dialogue was initially unable to be captured. For instance, there's no sound in the vacuum of space, so how are actors supposed to deliver dialogue when they're in space? That's a joke. How the hell do you know? I don't know. Anyway, that was as fast as we can get with ADR. And you can ADR this. (laughs) Good Lord. (gasps) What are you watching? So what I'm watching this week, it's another one that's not very good. As a matter of fact, I really dislike it. So I'll actually be brief about this, but it's a film called Friends with Money. Have you seen this? Yes, I have. That's Nicole Holof Center's movie with Jennifer that's right. Aniston. That's right. Well, and, 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 and uh, several other very talented um, women, but unfortunately, they're not being used uh, very well. And, uh, and so all I have to say about this film is don't waste your time. But, but there is one moment in this film that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just becomes meta and, and, and strange and stupid all at the same time. Um, so Jennifer Aniston is, are y'all ready for this? A maid. A maid that can't get a date. And I swear they've excused the way she looks by having her have this, like, penchants for stealing face cream. I'm not freaking kidding. Like, I know it's somewhere there was a meeting where they're like, well, what are we going to do? Because it's Jennifer Aniston. She's hot. She looks good. I know. Let's have her steal face cream. That'll explain it. That's how she's a maid that can't get a date. So nothing against maids. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm blaming that one on Hollywood. But Jennifer Aniston does not look like, you know, she's down on the floor cleaning houses. She just doesn't. She looks like she's, you know, on billboards selling water, um, which is what she is. So anyway, I, I'm not buying it. Okay, I'm not buying it. And then there is a moment in the, in the film where she's like sitting on a couch uh, at her friend's, this, get it, guess what? Her friends have money, mm-hmm. hence the title, Friends mm-hmm. with Money. So she's sitting on a couch, and the woman who cleans this, the, the, the woman's maid, I guess, her, her friend, uh, is like leaving, departing, and says hello. And this, um, I feel like they, I don't even know if she says hello. I feel like it's an extra that they're like, eh, we're not going to pay her anything. Just have her wave, right? Um, and and so she's like standing in the hallway, and it's, she seems, this actor is either being made to look like or looks like your average person on the street, unlike all the other people in this film. And she's sort of waving goodbye, and Jennifer Aniston looks at her, and she goes, hey, I do your job now. I do what you do. What? Mm. Yeah. That moment happens in the film, and everybody should see that moment and not the rest of the film. So I, I, I saw this in 2006, I guess, when it came out, because I, I, I am fond of Nicole Holofcener Center as a filmmaker. Uh, Were I, you fond of this film? No. I don't remember this okay, being you. one of her thank stronger you. pictures. I, I have always intended to go back to it because I think its critical reputation has grown in esteem somewhat since, um, since its release, but um, I have not. Um, and I probably never will. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Hi, I, I do what you do now. It And by the way, there is, I will give the editor credit here. There's a really awkward sort of pause afterwards. And I'm like, yes, this is, <laughs> this is somehow this entire film is right here in this moment. So anyway, that's what I'm watching. What are you watching? 
So uh, what I'm watching, um, you know, the school year is wrapping up. And in my history of film class, we have almost reached the present day. So this is going to serve as, as an acknowledgement of that and also a little bit of hype for something we are doing um, in the month of June, uh, the Sidewalk Book and Film Club. Um, in my class, we recently watched Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. And in the Sidewalk Book and Film Club, we will be uh, reading the BFI Film Classics edition on Do the Right Thing and watching that film in June. Check it out on Sidewalk's website for more information. Buy a ticket. Come hang out. Listen to that little plug right there. That was yeah. good. That was smooth. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. Um, anyway, Do the Right Thing uh, is uh, a modern classic and a great movie from start to finish. Uh, have nothing to say about it, uh, something, nothing bad to say about it. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm very excited to not only share that with, with my students every year, but also uh, have an excuse to talk about it uh, with the Book and Film Club. Um, I think it's just uh, a masterwork. Uh, Spike Lee at the top of his game um, as a screenwriter, and also, you know, working with cinematographer Ernest Dickerson, Dickerson, you know, this portrait of Brooklyn in the middle of a heat wave with all of these vivid reds and oranges and yellows. And it's a time capsule, too. I mean, it's crazy yeah. to look at. I actually played the beginning of this film for my students. We, we, I did a thing. I think I've mentioned this before, but I do a thing on intros and closings. So, so you played the Rosie Perez. The opening. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like so much style. Yeah. So interesting. You know, such a like. I just think had such a major influence on culture at the time. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, very, I'm a big, big fan of Spike Lee as a filmmaker. Um, I think he is one of the most vital voices in American cinema has been since he, he broke onto the scene in the 1980s. Um, and this movie for me, uh, is just as good as it gets. I mean, the ensemble cast is, is working at all levels, um, just so well. Um, and my students just constantly surprised at some of the, the names and faces who pop up in smaller roles. You know, they were tickled to see Samuel L. Jackson uh, before he was, you know, Samuel L. Jackson in all caps. They were, they were, I don't know if they noticed Martin Lawrence or if they really recognized the importance of Martin Lawrence as a figure in American comedy because um, they're, you know, young. But he's there hanging out in the background. Um, just so many faces. Uh, and it is still so painfully, horribly relevant uh, in so many ways. Um, it's just, it, it's a great movie. Come watch it with us at the Sidewalk Book and Film Club. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm going to throw one more thing at you really okay. quickly. I'll do it fast, though, I promise. So uh, this other thing that I've been watching, which is actually is good, uh, but very interesting and very strange, mm. and that is I went to see Amazing Grace. Oh, yeah. Did you see it? No, not yet. So it's just really raw footage from a, the gospel album recording that Aretha Franklin does mm-hmm. um, and, and a church. Um, and it's, yeah, it's pretty, I mean, it's just there's focus searching and I mean it really you feel like you're in the church because it is just this sort of dump of raw footage Um, and so yeah I I mean it's really interesting time capsule as well um, just in a very different way in different era Um, Mick Jagger's in the room there's some other sort of you spot some famous musicians kind of here and there what's interesting um, that you may want to take a a notice when you do go see it I did see it theatrically which was cool is that um, uh, Aretha Franklin is strangely silent Mm -hmm. 
there's this real sort of feeling or of belief um, that, you know, she's like, she herself is this like gift from God kind of thing, right? But it is interesting that there, her father speaks for a long time. The other men that are sort of directing the choir and this kind of thing speak for a long time. She really doesn't speak much. I mean, clearly we hear her voice because she sings and she's literally at the top of her game at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty, it's a, it's a brilliant sort of, you know, look at a brilliant artist um, by just by presenting the raw footage. So I, I left there kind of the next morning waking up and feeling like, man, I feel like I, I experienced this, you know, like I was there. Um, very cool. So I'm interested to hear what you think. Yeah, um, I can't wait to see it. I, I had to prioritize another movie this weekend. but um, Understandable. It's a yeah, big weekend for movies. It, it's a huge weekend. All right, let's go. Big, big bucks. Today's my day. Let's go. Big bucks. No whammies. No whammies. Big bucks. Big bucks. Here we go. Stop. All right, Rachel, are you ready for the filmmaker lightning round? I am ready for the filmmaker lightning round, except that I'm not ready for it. I mean, <laughs> well, I have nobody's no idea. ever ready for the filmmaker lightning round. I have, uh, I have no idea what you're about to ask me. Okay. So um, we'll just see. I mean, I might sink. So I'm inspired by a film that I'm showing in my history of film class at the moment, uh, the 1996 classic neo noir Fargo from directors Joel and Ethan Cohen. So today. I'm going to ask you about the films of the Coen brothers. I can do um, this. Let's start with a film by the Coen brothers that you love. Blood Simple. Yeah, it's great, right? I mean, it's just amazing. I go back to it all the time. It is a wonderful, wonderful piece of, of neo-noir um, and many other things, too. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Blood Simple, and and I would imagine most folks have, but if you haven't, you know, I, go do it. And if you haven't seen it in a decade or so, go see it again. It's, it's really terrific. It holds up. Um, talk about coming out of the gates with all guns blazing. I mean, their debut, but I mean, it's so confident, so assured. So brilliant. Um, They're my favorite filmmakers. So technically all of their films are in like a 17 way tie for first place for me. But a film that I love, my favorite of their films is the 2009 film, A Serious Man, um, which is pitch dark, existentially bleak comedy about a man's fruitless attempt to find meaning in the chaos of the universe, which is, you know, my bread and butter, I guess. Um, okay, a film of theirs that I forget the questions now, but we're just gonna roll with it. Like it. Um, a filmmakers that uh, a film of theirs that you um, that you think is uh, underrated. You know, I mean that the answer there again is probably uh, Blood Simple because I don't know that it gets the attention that it deserves. Yeah. But I will go with another one just because it is a bit more of a sleeper, and I think one that a lot of people don't like. Um, and maybe it's down the list too, but I still think it's a great film. And I'm I might be getting the title wrong, but is it Lady Killers? Yeah, is Lady it? Killers. Yeah, I that's like, my answer too. I like it. I like it a lot. That's got your mortal enemy in it, obviously. That's the only reason why I would say, meh, it's on the bottom of my list because uh, it's. It's he near sucks the bottom. in it. Tom Hanks sucks in this film. No, he's great in it. Oh, he's playing a cartoon, but it's a fun, broad cartoon in a fun, broad movie that I think got a lot of hate for Tom Cruise. Uh, I no, mean, not for Tom him. Hanks. I'm not sorry. for him. Uh, for I don't know. I think it's I think it's sharp and funny. Um, since you mentioned that, I'll mention the other sort of early two thousands maligned comedy that nobody really likes. 
um, intolerable cruelty with George Clooney and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Fair. Uh, kind of their take on a screwball uh, divorce comedy um, that I think is super sharp. I mean, it's, again, really, really broad, really, um, really silly. But I like it when the Coens go broad and silly. You know, I saw it in the theater, haven't seen it since, and I have no recollection of this film whatsoever. It's It's got a lot of really great jokes in it. All right, a film of theirs that maybe you don't like as much as everybody else. Okay, you're going to get pissed. Everybody's okay. going to get pissed. So everybody put your seatbelts on. Raising Arizona. Oh. I like it. No, no, I like it. Like, don't get, I told you, like, don't stroke out on me. Uh, I, I like can't it. Help it. I just, I did. But it's out. just, I've seen it too many times. It's played too many times. It's quoted too many times. Mm. I don't need to hear another just random person quoting from Raising Arizona. The panty on the head. Da, 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 I'm over it. I like the film. It's great. I wish I hadn't seen it 5,000 times and heard 20 million quotes. Mm, okay, fair. I mean, because I love The Big Lebowski. I kind of feel that way about The Big I Lebowski do too, at this but point. But it's so good. It is. It's so good. Both are. Um, yeah, that's just the thing about them. I, I don't really have an answer for this question because, again, like 17 way tie for first place. Though I will say, everybody seems to hold their 2001 film the man who wasn't there in slightly higher regard than i do uh okay that's a good that's a good choice just because for one nobody should have to look at billy bob thornton that much oh wow i'm sorry i'm not gonna take a position on that uh the final question uh, a film of theirs that you feel like you need to revisit i mean only because it's amazing no country for old men yeah love that film and would watch it a million times yeah, that's, I mean, obviously such a great movie. Their Best Picture winner from, from 2007. Uh, I think the answer for me will be their follow-up film, the film that they followed up um, No Country for Old Men with, that it, it was just a radical turn uh, for them. Uh, the comedy Burn After Reading, um, which is uh, sort of comedy of of errors about gym workers and inept CIA employees, um, a movie that I really, really liked in 2008, but haven't seen as much as many of their other films. Um, it, it feels like a dark Washington set comedy that would play a lot better now, uh, given you know the state of the world, than it maybe did in fall 2008. Yeah, well, they're really talented. Well, they're really good at what they do. And my other favorite thing about them, so everybody get ready if you're a tech nerd, they still use Final Cut 7. Hats <laughs> off to them. <laughs> So thanks for listening. This is your own cinematic Eminem and Dr. Dre, <laughs> Slim Shady over there. Um, and I want to thank Boutwell Studios for making us sound so damn good and Splash 96 for our amazing original music. Can you tell us a little bit about where people can find out more about Sidewalk? You can find us on social media at Sidewalk Film at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, tickets for the 2019 Sidewalk Film Festival are now on sale uh, why don't you consider buying one or 12 uh, for all those special people in your life? And then I'm going to do two more things really quickly. We're not done just yet. Uh, first of all, that is, please, I'm begging you guys to rate us on iTunes. Any kind of rating that's, you know, a five or above would be good. Um, yeah, we would really appreciate it. It'll help us keep going. Um, and then the last thing is uh, another sort of beg, and that is that, guess what? Your name can be on a seat at the Sidewalk Cinema. That sounds great. Yeah, really, really cool. For only, guess what, $17 a month. And, I mean, it, for a while. Like a while. Yeah, it's $1,000. I mean, so, you know, it, you know, it helps you us can actually down. open the doors 
for an awesome independent cinema in downtown Birmingham. So think of it as an investment. And you can go in, see your name on a seat. And by the way, it doesn't have to be your name. You can put pretty much anything that you want on there. Jason Voorhees. Like that. Or Freddie versus Jason. Oh, wow. Um, so anyway, if you're interested in that, you can email Corey or me. That's Corey at SidewalkFest.com or Rachel at SidewalkFest.com. And of course, you can, if you don't know how to spell our names, I don't know, man. Um, you just go <laughs> on SidewalkFest.com and find us. Thanks for listening. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.